doesn't matter how many buildings we construct, churches we plant, or sermons we preach if we're not intent on doing everything so that lost men, women, and children will experience the transforming work of God. We're challenging each of you to identify one person in your relational network, perhaps a family member or a friend, a co-worker or a neighbor, to commit to pray for and to share the gospel with that person, to identify your one to, with which God could stir your soul to be willing to share with them so that they might know the love of Jesus. And we sent out a 30-day prayer guide by email, and then we're also going to be emphasizing that daily as we go through April. And I hope you'll join with us as a church as we pray through that and make it an emphasis spiritually to ask the Lord to do what only he can do. And we think about the world population. You saw a number come up on the video just a few minutes ago of 7,679,000,000 people. That is an overwhelming number. We think about the number of people who are born each day. There are 360,000 babies that are born every single day on the face of the planet. There are approximately 150,000 people who die every single day. And we hear numbers like this, these numbers can be overwhelming to us and we can lose sight of the value of one. And numbers can also be impressive to us. We love big numbers, big money, big business, big churches, big accomplishments, and they can cause us to lose sight of the importance and the value of one. But what we understand from the Bible is that God creates uniquely every single individual and God values the one. Everyone matters to God, and God calls each person individually to come to faith in Jesus. So how is it that people enter into the kingdom of God? They come one by one. Now, at times, there are many of them who are coming together, depending on what the event might be, but they're still entering into the kingdom one by one, individuals placing their faith and trust in the Lord and being saved. If each one, if everyone matters to God, then everyone should matter to us as well. Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says all the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him, to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were complaining, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable, verse 4, what man among you? who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open field and go after the lost one until he finds it. When he has found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and coming home, he calls his friends and neighbors together saying to them, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. Verse seven, I tell you in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. Luke chapter 14 ends with Jesus saying, he who has ears to hear, let him listen. Luke chapter 15 begins by indicating that the tax collectors and the sinners were coming to Jesus to listen to Jesus. And what's ironic is that they were listening to Jesus, but the Pharisees and the scribes were complaining that Jesus was receiving sinners and that Jesus was eating with sinners. So Jesus told three parables in a row, all 
of which have the same theme of something being lost and then being found, of something of value being sought after and being located and being brought back to where it was supposed to be. And the spiritual point here of these parables is that God goes after lost people. And when God goes after lost people, lost people are found. And when lost people are found, God is happy because they've been found. So there's a very simple progression through this parable. The first one that we're going to consider today in these first seven verses. And the first part of it is this. People are lost without God. People are lost without God. Now, the biblical description of people who don't know Jesus Christ is that they are lost. We don't hear much about lost people anymore in the church. We hear about people being on a spiritual journey toward God and people being in these different conditions, but we don't just straightforward talk about people who don't know God as though they are lost. And I can remember growing up in a a Bible-believing church that one of the key emphases that we had as a church was that people were lost and they needed to be found. So maybe the reason that we're not finding as many lost people as we should be finding as a church is because we've forgotten what it means for them to be lost. And we're not emphasizing it as much as we should as servants of the Lord. So Jesus tells the story of the lost sheep. Now in that region, uh, shepherds and sheep were common. And as it was, Jesus would use these earthly stories, these earthly circumstances, and then make a spiritual application because they had a heavenly and eternal meaning. That's basically what a parable is. And Jesus used the circumstance that would have been familiar to the people to make his point. I read a news report last week about a little boy who was with his mother. His name's Benjamin Sanchez, and they were visiting a place called El Salado. It's a semi-desert region in San Juan, Argentina. He thinks he's being funny, so in a playful hide-and-seek kind of a way, he runs away from his mother, and he inadvertently gets lost. And as it often is when children are lost, panic set in. He was lost for 22 hours walking through the wilderness in the dangerous areas of that desert region. His disappearance was all over the news. They sent out drones to look for him and there were helicopters that were circling. There were some 300 people that many of them were on horseback looking for this boy and there were others on ATVs and motorcycles and they're looking for him until finally he was found. There were also prayer groups organized to seek after this little boy, and they finally found him, and he was safely reunited with his mother. You see, they went to great lengths to find this one boy who had gone missing. And in the same way, God has gone to great lengths to seek after the ones who are lost and to find them. To be lost uh, means to be unable to find your way. It means not knowing your whereabouts, not being able to get to where you need to be. And these Pharisees and the scribes, they thought they had already been found when in fact they were caught up in their own self-righteousness. They were lost as well and they saw the tax collectors and the uh, sinners as traitors and the tax collectors particularly as extortioners. Now remember, the tax collectors of that day, the Jewish ones would represent the government, which was Rome, and the people didn't like that. But the way that they made their money is they would collect whatever the tax was that they would turn into Rome, and then whatever they could get above and beyond that, they'd just keep it. So the people rightly saw them 
as thieves. And yet here was Jesus in the midst of these thieves in the sight of the people. Here was Jesus mixing with these sinners. And he even had selected a tax collector to be one of the 12 disciples. So the question is, should a lost sheep be ignored and neglected and despised as was the attitude of the Pharisees and the scribes toward the people. You say, well, of course not. We wouldn't be so self-righteous as to say that, that we would just ignore and dismiss and not give any concern to these people because of their situation. Well, let me ask you a very simple question. When was the last time that you as an individual had a conversation with another individual about their spiritual condition about their need for Jesus about the hope that you have in him if you know him if your answer to that question is not what you would like for it to be perhaps by default you fall into the same category as the Pharisees and the scribes not giving much concern for those who are lost So Jesus is making the point here of how we're to deal with the lost. Spiritually, to be lost means to not know God by faith. And in the parable, Jesus told, he relates it to the sheep being lost. And a sheep that was lost in the Judean wilderness would have found themselves in great danger, predators, all kinds of harm could have come upon them. They would potentially be attacked and killed. They were lost if they were away from the shepherd. And loss describes the condition of people who have not believed in the good news of Jesus, who have not been forgiven of their sins, and who do not have the gift of eternal life. But let's go a little bit deeper here even into what it means to be lost. People who are lost are under condemnation for their sin. John makes the point of this in John chapter 3 and verse 17 and 18, immediately following that wonderful verse of truth of what Jesus has done in verse 16. The scripture says in verse 17 and 18 that if we do not know Jesus, we are under condemnation already. So it's not as though we will just be condemned someday in the future. It's our present condition. It's the present condition of lost people. And people who are lost spiritually are spiritually dead in their trespasses and their sins. Ephesians 2 and verse 1 says, And you are dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. And people who are lost are without hope. Think about what it would be like in life to not have any hope even hope for next week. Now, step that up and think about what it would be like to not have any hope for eternity, to think that this life was all there is or that there's nothing that we can look forward to. And yet that's how the Bible describes people who are lost. Ephesians 2 and verse 12 says, you were at that time separate from Christ excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. People who are lost are described further in Ephesians 4 and verse 17. Therefore, I say this and testify in the Lord that you should no longer live as the Gentiles live in the futility of their thoughts. They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. 
So according to the Bible, the lost person's mind and thinking cannot rightly relate to God. The lost person's thoughts are darkened so that they cannot see. Their hearts are hardened so they cannot understand the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ. The enemy has overcome them and they cannot think about God as they should. In summary, lost people are cut off from life with God. And what's so much more sad is that lost people don't even know that they're lost apart from the intervention of God in their lives. And even when the lost sinner becomes aware of their condition, there is nothing that they can do to rescue themselves. People are lost without God. There's a second point to this parable. And that is God pursues lost people. God pursues lost people. Now, many of the people who would have heard Jesus teaching this parable would have been familiar with the Old Testament passages because in the Old Testament, God presents himself as the shepherd of Israel. He's the shepherd of his people. The under shepherds who had the priestly duties were responsible for representing God and ministering on their behalf and leading them to a place of worship in God. All of this was pointing forward to Jesus, who is the chief shepherd. He's the good shepherd, and he's the one who watches out over our souls. He's the one who rescues us when we are lost sheep. And they would have recognized passages like Psalm 23 and verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Or Isaiah 40 and verse 11, he will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather his lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and he will gently lead those who have their young. Or Ezekiel 34 and verse 15, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I will seek that which was lost. So notice what happens in this parable. The shepherd is willing to leave the 99 and go and look for the one who is lost. He's willing to go into the wilderness and search for the one who is lost so they might be found. One of my favorite New Testament stories is one that most of us are familiar with if we've been in Bible school or Sunday school along the way, and that is the story of Zacchaeus. The story of Zacchaeus is told a little bit later on in the Gospel of Luke chapter 19. You remember that he was a tax collector in the region of Jericho, and the Bible indicates that he had done quite well with his tax collecting. He was not well liked, as I've already mentioned, related to the tax collectors. But old Zacchaeus heard that Jesus was going to be passing through. So he decides, because he was a wee little man, he was short, that he was going to go and he was going to climb up in the tree and he was going to look just so that he could get a glimpse of Jesus passing by. But little did he know, Jesus was going to come looking for him and seek him out. The Lord calls him by name. He tells him to come down. He says, I'm coming to your house today. And Zacchaeus's life was transformed when he placed his faith in Jesus. And he even was willing to make right with the people that he had cheated. You see, that's what happens when our lives are transformed. When we experience the grace of God, we're not just concerned about our eternal destination, but we are concerned about our immediate transformation. We're concerned about living in a right way for God. We're concerned about giving glory to God because of what he's done for us. And God takes the initiative to seek lost people. 
the shepherd took the initiative to find the lost sheep. And Jesus said at the end of the story of Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19 and verse 9 and 10, today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. You remember the last part of that verse? For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's the purpose for which Jesus came to the earth. It was to seek and to save that which was lost. And if the son of God left heaven and came to this earth to seek after the lost, and we know him by faith, then we too should be people who are concerned with seeking and saving the lost because that is their only hope, the hope of Christ. And I'm absolutely fascinated with these search and rescue stories. In fact, admittedly, when there's a headline in the news, I read every one because it's so interesting. And I'm told that every year these search and rescue missions physically from hunters and hikers and rock climbers and so forth are on the increase. Now, I'm not sure what that says about humanity. Maybe we're getting dumber along the way. I don't know. Or maybe just more adventuresome with the opportunities that have been placed before us. But there are more and more people who are needing to be rescued every single year. Part of the debate, if you will read these search and rescue stories, is who should pay the bill for the people being rescued. Now, thankfully, with a few exceptions where people have blatantly ignored the responsibility that they have and ignored specific instructions that were given, for the most part, there is a longstanding view that search and rescue is an essential life-saving service that the government typically provides. People aren't expected to pay for when they get rescued from their desperate situation. Now, you know where I'm going with this, but I want to make this point. Because God has taken on the cost of the search for people who are lost spiritually. In the case of the shepherd, in the parable, he had to go into the midst of the dangerous wilderness himself to find the lost sheep. God has expended the greatest cost of all in sending his son Jesus to look for lost people. In fact, God sent his only son who was willing to leave the glory and the perfection and the beauty and the joy of heaven to enter into the mess of this world that we exist in, to enter into our pain and to enter into our brokenness and to enter into our lost condition and look for those who are lost. That's why Jesus came. And of course, Jesus willingly gave the ultimate price and that was the price of his own blood as the Lamb of God so that our sins could be taken away. Romans 5 and verse 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans chapter 8 and verse 32 says, he did not even spare his own son, but he offered him up for us all. How will he not also with him give us everything? This is the price that has been paid for lost people. The shepherd relentlessly searched until he found the lost sheep. And God relentlessly searches until he finds people who are lost spiritually. Now here's where we come into the picture. God uses saved people to search for lost people. That's how it works. God uses saved people to search for lost people. I said that we don't talk very much about lost people anymore. We also don't talk much about soul winners. 
Proverbs 11 and verse 30 says that he who wins souls is wise. This is not some antiquated language that is simply from the late 20th century and Bible preaching churches. This is biblical language to tell us that those of us who win souls are wise in the sight of the Lord. This is something that God is pleased with when we look for those who are lost. You say, well, why would we be people who do that? Why should we care? Well, I think, first of all, it's not out of guilt. It's not because the preacher stands up and says, you should go after lost people. It's not because we have an emphasis that says, who's your one to try to raise the awareness. It's because we love the Jesus who came and lived and died and now lives again and intercedes on our behalf. We love him because of what he's done for us. We would say to Jesus, Jesus, we love you and we thank you that you gave your life's blood for us and that you were buried in a borrowed tomb and that you, were wrote, that you rose from the grave and that we can come to you by faith. We love Jesus is why we want to do this. And it begs the question, but it's so important to ask if our soul winning is deficient, why is it deficient? Have we just forgotten what it was like to be lost? Have we lost our intimate walk with Jesus? Remembering what he's done for us? And we are commanded to share with others. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 20 says that we are to be ambassadors for Christ. Now think about this. If we had an ambassador of this country who was supposed to go and represent our nation to another nation, what would we expect them to do? We would expect them to go and to be a good ambassador and to speak of our nation and to represent our nation well. If we are ambassadors of Jesus, and yet we never represent Jesus to other people one-on-one, then we're not very good ambassadors. In fact, we might be the very problem because of the lack of a good testimony or the lack of a faithful witness. And God is calling us to be ambassadors for Christ. As though he is making the appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. And when Paul writes that in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 20, there is a sense of urgency. There's a sense of concern that we are going to people not with a ho-hum message. We are going to people with the greatest message of all, that there is a Savior who can rescue you from your sins. That's the message. And we ought to be praying fervently and sharing faithfully and believing when we do that God's going to change a heart and a soul forever. And we should be concerned about the eternal destiny of those who are lost. Hebrews 9.27 says, It is appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment. As I often say, every single individual has an appointment with God. God sets the appointment. We don't know the day or the hour or the moment, the minute. But God sets that appointment. And either we're going to be ready for it because we've been rescued, saved by Jesus, or we're going to stand before him in judgment. And that ought to burden us. We should care about people who don't yet know the grace of God. And the Spirit uses available witnesses to communicate the truth about Jesus from the Word of God. And then the Holy Spirit is the one who does the convicting and the converting. We can't save anybody. All we can do is be a good ambassador. 
All we can do is give a, is give a clear message, give a good understanding of what it means to know him. But I want to go a step further here because not only does God pursue lost people, but when he finds them, he saves them and keeps them safely in the fold. When the shepherd in the parable that Jesus told found the sheep, he put him on his shoulders and he carried him safely home. Now, I love the artist's rendering of the good shepherd with joy on his face with the lamb on his shoulders. He's holding the lamb by his legs so that he's safe and secure with the shepherd so that he'll not fall or get lost again. And he takes him safely home. That's what this parable is telling us. In John chapter 10 and verse 28 says, I give eternal life to them and they shall never perish and no one shall snatch them out of my hands. So listen to me very carefully. Eternal security is not about how good you can be or about how good you should be. 2 Timothy 1 and verse 12 says, I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to guard what has been entrusted to me until that day. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6 says, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Eternal security is not about how good you can be or should be. Eternal security is about the faithfulness of our God to finish what he started. And that's an important point. Because we cannot say that salvation is of grace, but then we've got to work to keep it. How much work would you have to do to keep it? And how many sins would you have to commit to lose it? It's an act of God who declares sinners righteous. Not based on anything they ever have done or could do or could offer to God. But based on the finished work of the cross. God pursues lost people. And then there's a third and final point here in this parable. There's rejoicing when lost people are found. The Pharisees and the scribes complained and grumbled when Jesus was interacting with sinners. And by contrast, heaven and earth rejoice when sinners who are lost are found. This is a beautiful picture here because when the shepherd found the sheep, he brings him home, calls his friends and his neighbors together and says, verse 6, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. Verse 7, I tell you in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. Now, what are we to make of these 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. I believe the reference here is to the Pharisees and the scribes and their followers who were self-righteous and did not see their need to repent, who thought they were righteous by their own estimation and were not righteous in the estimation of God. And Jesus is saying, I'll go and find the one who's willing to hear and believe and be found. Did you know that estimates are as high as 65 million people coming to know Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord worldwide every single year? 65 million people entering in to the family of God. Now let's break the math down just a little bit here. That would be an average of 123 people per minute 
coming to know Jesus. So in this 70 minutes that we are here in worship together today, that is approximately 8,610 people who will be saved somewhere in the world. Now don't, don't miss this point. There is continual joy. There is continual ongoing rejoicing in heaven because God the Father is drawing people into his family. God the Father is saving those who are lost. God the Father is rescuing those who are in danger. And everyone matters to God as though they were the only one. Think about it. The clear emphasis here of Jesus is on the one who has been lost and searched for and found and rejoiced over. But the message is that there is rejoicing in all of heaven. Can you imagine what a joyful place heaven must be? And it's going to be joyful for all of eternity. Because God's going to get the glory for what he's done on behalf of sinners. God's going to get the praise for what he's done through his son. So my question for you is, If when a sinner repents of their sins and turns to God, all of heaven gets to the place of rejoicing where God gets the glory, then shouldn't that be the same with us? Should we not, as the church, as the people of God, be a place of rejoicing? We don't talk a lot about lost people as much as we should. We we should see their condition. We don't talk a lot about soul winning as we should because that's our responsibility. But you know what else we don't do real well? We don't celebrate as we should. We, we have this ho-hum attitude sometimes. It's like been there, done that. We forgot what it was like to be lost. We forgot what it was like to be rescued. Have you seen those physical search and rescue stories where they find the person and they've been deep in the woods or they've been way out in the ocean or something? Man, they are as happy as happy can be. Well, how much more joy is there when one person is saved and they enter into the family of God and they experience the grace of God and they know that their, their eternity is secure? And maybe if there was more joy among the people of God, maybe if there was more rejoicing and lifting up of praise to God, maybe more lost people would be found. And we would understand what's been done for us. Friends, how can we just go through the motions? How can we just do our religious exercise and come to church and check that off for the week and go on and do something else? Or how can we just serve God when it's convenient? How can we not be all in in the things of God and be joyful over what God does? When a lost person is found, we ought to be, we ought to be a joyful, rejoicing church. So I ask you this question in closing. It's the question we open with. Who's your one? Who's your one? You remember when Jesus in Matthew chapter nine looked out upon the people and he said that they were as sheep without a shepherd. They were weary and they were scattered. And the Bible says that Jesus was moved with compassion. The literal translation of that is that Jesus felt it in his gut. He felt it down deep when he saw the condition of these people. And Jesus proclaimed the good news of the kingdom. He was distressed at what was going on with these people. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to raise up labors to go into the harvest. That's that's what Jesus prayed. So over the coming days, we are going to prioritize personal ownership of the Great Commission as we seek to intentionally pursue one person with the good news about Jesus. 
We can't do everything, but everyone can do something. And every one of us can be intentional about reaching one because everyone matters to God. Who is your one? And you're sitting there thinking, I can't think of who my one is. You've got some work to do. You don't have to look far to find one. But you do have to care enough that you're going to pray for them and then be obedient as God opens the door to share the good news about Jesus. And I'd be remiss today in preaching this message to close and not say, perhaps you are the one to whom God has spoken through his word. You are the one who has been lost. You are the one that the shepherd has been looking for. You are the one that the spirit of God has been stirring and you know that something is not right. You know that you're not right with God and God is bringing you today to that place of trusting in him and being found. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 and 10 that if you will confess through your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Verse 13, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is the promise to you as though you are the only one that today you could be found in Jesus if you'll just come to him in faith. Let's bow our heads together for a moment as we pray. Father, we thank you for the clarity of your word that has reminded us in this parable that Jesus taught of the value, the significance of one. Father, every one of us who are a part of your family has entered in by faith, one by one. And so it will continue until Jesus returns. We count it a great privilege to be able to share this great message that has been shared with us in Jesus. And I pray you'd help us as we think about who our one is that we're going to be praying for and sharing with in the days to come, that it, it would potentially be a spark of renewal and revival within the body of Christ at Cross Lanes Baptist Church, that we would be stirred like we maybe have not been stirred in a long time to be concerned for the lost and to be faithful to share. God, show us our one. And we pray by faith that you would bring people to a knowledge of yourself. And Lord, if there is one here this morning who has heard that call, who has experienced the power of the Spirit in their lives and know that they need to be saved, I pray that they would come before this service is over. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to stand together now and sing, All to Jesus I Surrender.